welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 31 of the revamped show for Tuesday, September the 8th, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. If you're over on YouTube, up in that search bar, all you got to do is search Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 30 prior uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get a notification anytime anything new is uploaded to the In The Money page. If you listen audio only, whether it's on Apple Podcast or any of the other sort of places you find your podcasts, again, rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, the whole nine. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, you can find this over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com along with the In The Money Players Podcast, the Racing Picks Players Podcast, uh, Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker, uh, JK Plus One, the Red Board Rewind with Spencer Lugenbuehl, uh, Nick Locks Daily Podcast, you name it. There's a million things over there. There's also great written content over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're looking for analysis throughout the week, head on over to RacingPicks.com. Easy enough for me to say. I've only said it a million times. It's all free. All you got to do is enter your email address and sign up. You're good to go. All free. You get written stuff from myself, Andrew Champagne. PTF has a few written pieces over there as well. Saturdays, there are videos up for a few plays if you are. So if you're interested in looking for that sort of thing on a Saturday afternoon. As far as this week's show is concerned, a couple of housekeeping things at the top. Uh, next week's show will be recorded the same as this week on Tuesday, not on Monday. So don't be alarmed if it doesn't pop up next Monday. Uh, I already have something tied up. So Tuesday will be the day that it's recorded and uploaded that evening. As far as the Friday feature for this week is concerned, I, this past weekend, a million things were going on and it just got away from me a little bit. So there won't be one this week, but, but for those of you that are listening or watching, just need to make sure that I have this correctly. It'll be back next Tuesday, and I'm going to take the winner from last week, and that is Jerry Richmond. Jerry Richmond correctly identified that Rinaldi would win the 11th at Saratoga last Friday afternoon. Uh, Jerry, sorry that this didn't work out this week. I will still sort of write a little comment beneath last week's show, and, and we'll make this thing happen for next Tuesday at some point. So Jerry Richmond will be the guest next Tuesday for next Friday's feature. Not this Friday because there isn't going to be one. I figured this would be kind of an old school show. We'll go through the Derby Day races from Churchill, some of the ones that I think are going to have ramifications going forward, specifically for the Breeders' Cup, do the same for Friday, and then address a couple of questions, comments, and things like that that happen to be beneath the video player over on YouTube. And that's where you need to leave your selection if you are going to be playing in the Friday feature, which again, will come back next week for next Friday. Jerry Richmond is, fingers crossed, going to be the guest next week. So let's start off, though, with the big one, the Derby on Saturday afternoon. Uh, it was, you know, you take a look at the result. We know by now, I don't want to call it old news, but Authentic wins the Kentucky Derby, defeats Tis the Law, uh, Mr. Big News runs third. And you take a look at the way the race was run. Um, I had said leading into it that, plain and simple, I just thought, Tis the Law was too much horse for the rest of this group. Uh, I even made the comment, and I still stand by it, that 3-5 to five was actually value in that spot. I feel like you run that race 100 times. I think he wins 70 to 75 times, um, which inherently is a better proposition than 3-5. to five. So I had no problem looking at that, and I have no problem going down on that sword. 
He just, for whatever reason, didn't have it on Saturday. And when I say he didn't have it, it's not like he ran a poor race. I mean, from a speed figure standpoint, I believe he earned a 103 buyer. And from a time form standpoint, the raw numbers are 126. I mean, he ran a good race. It was not as exceptional, in my opinion, as the Travers was. But it's not like he didn't pick his feet up. It'd be one thing if he completely bombed. That wasn't the case. I think he just got beat by a better horse on Saturday. And say what you will about Authentic and, and whether you're a fan of Bob Baffert or not, that horse ran his eyeballs out on Saturday. He got out there. He didn't have all things go his way. He had to run fast. And for him to continue on the way that he did and finish the way that he did, and I know many people have, have pointed out that it looked like they were all just ready to fall down out there for that final eighth of a mile. I mean, I, I, what do you expect for them to, to look like by the end of a mile and a quarter race when they go the opening half mile and 46 and 2? I mean, it's not like he was out there walking around. He had to run every step of the way, and for him to still finish the way that he did both of them, and actually, I believe the top five all finished sub-26 seconds for the final quarter mile, to me, that signifies two things. It shows that Authentic is a genuinely quality horse, and I had brought up a few months back after the Haskell specifically when people were saying, oh, look, see, he was getting tired at the end, and New York traffic was coming and getting him. I said, no, he's just goofy. He didn't, didn't have his head on straight. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. He was considerably more professional this time around. So maybe he finally did put it all together. I still, I had said for a while that I thought he was more a Preakness horse than a Derby horse. And it looks like he still may end up being a Preakness horse. But I was wrong about him with the Derby. Everything ended up working for him. And he earned this one. It's not as though I feel like it was a cheap result. Where you had some ridiculous result that, that on paper was bordering on impossible to have unless you were just throwing darts. Authentic went out there and won the race. Good on John Velasquez. From the outside, it felt crystal clear. You just need to break and go to the front. And that's what they did. Didn't get cute about it. Just went on with it. Um, I, you know, again, it, it, for me, it would have been one of those things. Had Tesla Law lost to a 50-to-1 shot, I would have said, well, this just really took a lot of the air out of the balloon. He didn't. He lost to the third choice in the race at 8-to-1, a horse who is already a grade one winner, who has proven himself to be a legitimately talented racehorse. And Authentic got out there, and Tis the Law could not go by him. Now, as far as Tis the Law goes, you know, at the top of the lane, I think he's 1-9 to nine to win the race. I feel like it was the it, it was a carbon copy of everything we had seen. When, he, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And I believe he may have actually poked a nose in front at one point. The problem is, he just didn't, he didn't run into a horse that was done. Authentic had more left. And, again, say what you will... I think the better, the best horse won on Saturday, uh, and I was wrong. I thought Tis the Law would win for fun, and he did not. He didn't win the race at all. Uh, having said that, you take a look at the rest of the field. You know, I think kind of going back to what I was talking about with that final quarter for like the top five or six horses all being sub 26. I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that this race was run when it was run. These are much more mature, faster horses in September than they would have been at the beginning of May. And I'll talk about the same thing when we get into the Kentucky Oaks talk. You know, you, you're not dealing with, because I know there's a track a stakes record for the Oaks. You're not dealing with apples to apples. You're dealing with horses that are nearly six months older. Five months older almost at this point. You know, from the day that they would run the, the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby in early May to where they're doing it here in early September. I mean, it's, it's not really a... A comp, in my opinion. So when people, oh, the track's all sped up and da da da, da. Well, 
yeah, I mean, the tracks are always a little bit kinder as far as times are concerned on big days, but you're also dealing with two totally different animals, literally. What they are at the beginning of May compared to what they are at the beginning of September is apples to oranges. So that's part of the reason that I think that these horses didn't slow down the way that they typically would for that final quarter mile where they continued to find a little bit. And yes, visually, was it stunning? No, not at all. But it was still a much better effort than you would have gotten at any point early on there in these three-year-olds campaign. And Authentic, maybe he is just fully coming into his own because I, I thought he was extremely professional in this race on Saturday. It w it's always going to be one of those fun what-if things to go back and knowing Authentic's quirks with his, his penchant for looking around and getting goofy and, and being keyed up. What would have happened if this race was run in front of 160, 170,000 people like it typically is? Tis the law has shown the ability to, you know, deal with crowds in the past. But let's also be honest, he's basically run his big races in front of empty houses, given the COVID situation here in 2020. But Authentic especially is a horse that we've seen do some wild things whenever there's any kind of a crowd. What would have happened? Would he have been as calm, relaxed, professional had he run in front of a giant crowd? Who knows? We'll never know. But what I do know is Authentic ran a damn good race. Tis the law ran a really good race. It wasn't his A game. I think it was probably an A minus B plus effort, which in most cases is probably good enough to win. In this instance, it wasn't. Uh, the only other horse I really want to quickly touch on is Honor AP. The start with New York traffic, and again, Paco Lopez. I mean, you're to be. I, I don't know the the where the line is. New York traffic was a little bit, you know, restless in the gate. Is he? Does he typically break out directly to the right? I don't know. Um, I would just say this, you know, Paco's better than this. Stop, stop with the the BS. Just go and ride. Go. And if it takes that, if, if genuinely and clearly the horse isn't good enough to run with those types, but point is, just just ride. Go on with it. And again, if it was the horse, then you know, so be it. He did what he could do, but. How it relates to Honor AP, a lot of people looked at it and said, you know, you, you cleaned him out at the start. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly didn't help his cause, but let's let's make no mistakes about it. I mean, Honor AP didn't have any kind of early, early foot, and I don't believe at all that that's the reason that it took him as long as it did to find his stride. It just kind of seemed like, I don't want to say he was spinning his wheels early on, but it just kind of felt like it, it took him a while to get into his stride. And he started to make a move on the far turn. He kind of followed the move that Mr. Big News made, which was wild. For a minute, I thought that horse was actually going to loom up and, and threaten to win this thing. Um, but Honor AP, I thought he ran fine. He's the kind of horse that, unfortunately for him, I think he's probably going to need. I think he's going to need a little bit more to go his way in order to win a race like this. He acquitted himself just fine, but I would go. I would say just fine is kind of the limit right now for me with him. He is as great as he looks, and who knows? Maybe he'll continue to get better as they race him a little bit more frequently, but. That I think the lack of really strong tactical speed is always going to put him behind the eight ball. Uh, maybe uh, I don't want to because maybe I'm uh, I'm out of line with saying this. But, uh, kind of in the same vein as a horse like Tonalist, who talent-wise it was there, but the running style may have compromised him in some of the bigger situations. 
but again, he uh, Tonal has accomplished a lot in his career. The Belmont the Cigar Mile, uh, I, I believe he ran he ran decent enough in the Travers. I mean, he's, he was a good horse. Don't get me wrong. And that's not meant to be a knock, but it's just something to keep in mind with a horse like Honor AP, who doesn't have the sort of tactical speed naturally early. Certainly doesn't have the speed early that Authentic does, but speed of Tis the Law or speed of Art Collector, who will knock on wood see in the Preakness in a few weeks' time, and, and some of these types. So uh, as far as the, the trip itself for the entire field, I thought it was a pretty clean race. Didn't really see anything that would lead me to believe that one of these horses kind of got jobbed or didn't have their full potential to run the race that they could have. Um, I thought there were a few disappointing performances. You know, I would have expected a little bit more from Sola Volante. Maybe they just go to the turf with him now. Uh, Max Player kind of ran his race. You know, I thought I loved that they at least got Storm the Court into the race early because I thought that was the only way that he could potentially do something. Um, Enforceable, fine. You know, money moves would have probably the underlay of the year. I, I, there was nothing on paper that suggested the horse should have been 13-1 to 1 in this field. Um, there were a number of more talented horses that had, I shouldn't say more talented, more accomplished horses that it felt like you knew what you were going to get from them where m- money moves. This was a big, big step up for him. And for him to go off at 13-1 to 1, it, it seemed kind of crazy. Uh, and attachment rate, I know a lot of people liked him. I've long maintained he's a one-turn kind of horse despite the fact that his record would suggest that he's done better going two turns. I think he's a one-turn type. We'll see what happens with them going forward with the Romans camp. But in my opinion, Authentic was the best horse on Saturday. And I have no issue with him defeating Tis the Law. If they all match up in Baltimore, I believe there's a list of 15 that could that are at least in consideration. Keep in mind, they can only run 14 in the Preakness. But if Authentic went, if Tis the Law went... A uh, thousand words apparently is going to point there. Art collectors pointing that direction. I mean, there there are many, many really talented racehorses. I think a couple from the Jim Dandy are planning on going. It could be actually an awesome race. I'm slightly surprised, given the the vicinity to the Breeders' Cup Classic, especially for some of the bigger names. You know, the Authentics, the Tis the Laws. Um, Art collector feels like he has to have a run. You know, I don't know that you want to just train him into a race at the Breeders' Cup Classic, but, you know, I it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing shakes down, and I'm really not going to do much Preakness right now because it's four weeks away and there's plenty, plenty of time to talk about it. But as far as the Derby goes, I thought everything for the most part played out very, very fair. Tis the law, he just wasn't good enough. Yes, I know he carried extra ground, but that's the way you're supposed to ride a horse if you think that they're five lengths the best. Keep him on the clear, make sure they don't get stopped. I thought it was a fine ride. Just got beat by a better horse than Authentic on the given day. Now, some of the other races earlier before the Derby, I'm not going to go and do deep dives on them, but I'll throw out little pieces here and there. Do with these what you will, and let me know what your thoughts are about the Derby and all of these other races on the Saturday undercard beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, Digital Age wins the Turf Classic, one of three in here for Chad. The other two Chads run third and fourth. Um, I, I didn't like this race, really. Uh, visually, I didn't think there was a heck of a lot that, that really stood out to me with the exception of there's one horse in this race that I'm actually very, very interested in. Should they go to the Breeders' Cup with him and should he run in the right race? That would be factor this in a race like the Breeders' Cup turf. Now, factor this is I would say he's not he's not a full-blown need-the-lead type, but he's got to be up there pushing things, preferably on the lead. Now, in this race, according to Timeform US, every split was red, with the exception of the opening quarter. But all the internals 
were red. And when you take a look and see where the top five finishers were positioned throughout the run, three quarters at the three quarter mark, Digital Age was ninth, Rock Emperor was eighth, Sacred Life was seventh, Don't Blame Rocket was tenth. Factor this was first. For him to run the way that he did and only lose by three quarters of a length, I hate him mechanically. I hate that he swaps and does all this other jazz. This is a really good horse who's in really exceptional form. And I will be very curious to see if they choose to run him again before the Breeders' Cup, and that's assuming that they do run in the Breeders' Cup. But in a race like the turf this year, where I don't think there are any stars, I think there are nice, nice, solid horses, digital age included, solid racehorse. I would not be chomping at the bit to to bet any of these at short prices. But I think factor this can, can become a little bit sneaky in a spot like that should they go. The distance I don't think is an issue for him. His speed obviously makes him in, uh, interesting. And you would assume, you would assume there's a, a real likely scenario where the pace is more to his, his advantage in a race like the Breeders' Cup turf than in a race like this at a mile and an eighth, just because of the dis- the distance change. Um, that's just the only real takeaway I had in this spot. Uh, the Chad third and fourth place runners, they never changed leads. That bothered me. Sacred Life, I picked him. He was an awful underlay in that spot. Uh, he's a nice horse, but it, by no means did he deserve to be f- short of two to one in here. I mean, you know, crazy, crazy the amount of money that he took. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, the longest of the three Chads ends up winning the race. So uh, good on those of you that had digital age. Move on to race number 12. Prior to that, that happened to be the Distaff, uh, whatever this, whoever sponsors it, the seven furlong dirt race for the Phillies and Mares. As Serengeti Empress runs her eyeballs out yet again. I thought there might be some sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a bounce, but some sort of a regression from that giant effort in the ballerina at Saratoga. You didn't get that. She just ran a wicked, wicked race. I'm always a fan of looking at the raw time form US rating and then kind of determining on my own if I thought it helped or hurt the horses as opposed to using the pace adjusted rating that time form US awards. Having said that, Bell's the one, wins the race. She's a really talented filly. She, you know, I think she fits very well in the filly and mare sprint sort of category at Keeneland. But when you look at her raw time of 117 compared to Serengeti Empress's 117, you go, okay, well, yeah, as far as the, the final time was concerned, that's where the numbers sort of shake down. Factor in that all of these splits were color-coded red according to Timeform US. And Serengeti Empress was on the lead a half mile into the race with a pace figure of 148. The pace-adjusted ratings for Bells the One and Serengeti Empress, Bells the One earned a 118 from the 117 raw number. Serengeti Empress from the raw 117 number earned a 130. So I, she ran an exceptional race, and it's it's a shame she didn't get the win. Um, I You know, going forward, if she stays in this sort of form, which would be kind of shocking to me given how big she's run in these consecutive races, uh, she's obviously the horse to beat probably when it comes to the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. That's assuming she stays in this sort of form going forward. Bell's the one. I think she deserves to be on the short list of, let's call them, upset contenders. Although I don't know that she's necessarily going to be, 
you know, an upset sort of price come come beginning of November. I think she's going to be among the choices outside of Serengeti Empress. Uh, I love the race that Sally's Curlin ran. I wish she had a little bit more early speed, but that doesn't mean that I'm less high on her. I, I still think that she's definitely a contender to hit the board, if not win that thing outright in November, if the pace situation, and when I say if the pace situation sets up for her, I get it, the pace was wild here in this spot, but I think there is a difference between, I'm trying to think of the right way of putting this. I think there's a difference between one other horse pushing Serengeti Empress, who has her own question marks in, in Bellafina, especially given the aggressiveness but I thought it was a fine move tactically from Mike Smith and company. I mean, do you really want to just let Serengeti walk out there? I think there are going to be, I'm hopeful anyway, at least one or two others. So if instead of it being sort of a head-and-head head duel, if there are three or four horses all going at it, maybe that's the situation where maybe the fractions don't change that much, but if they're racing, then maybe it softens up a horse like Serengeti to set it up from someone from a million out of it. And again, Bell's the one came from way off of it. So don't get me wrong. I'm trying to draw up the scenario for Sally's Curlin to ultimately win the thing. I don't know if she's good enough to win it, but I'm probably going to keep going to her. Uh, good effort, though, from the winner. Bell's the one, and I, I don't want to have it sound like I'm just shortchanging her, but uh, Serengeti Empress ran the best race in, the, in this event by far. Uh, race number 11, this is the dirt, Distaff Turf Mile. Bo Recall gets back to one of her best races, and when she is... When she's at her best, she's got a wicked kick. That That's not news to anyone. But I, this is another result where I look at it and I go, eh, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Because newspaper of record, with the fractions that were laid out, I, I mean, I just thought this was a really poor performance for a horse who it felt like she had got back to, all right, here she is. She's the monster again. And I looked at this and I thought, yeah, she was a little keen early on. That's kind of her. This is first time Javier as opposed to Irad riding her. But for her to just, she was just kind of even throughout. I wonder if you're at a point now where you just got to drop the hammer and try to run them off their feet. Open up by 10. Because if you're in a position like that turning for home and you can't hold off Bo Recall, and I know it makes it sound like I'm knocking Bo Recall. I love her. I've loved her for years. Anybody that's paid attention all, all the way back when I was at the racing form, I loved her as a three-year-old. But Bo Recall is not, in my opinion anyway, especially the form that she was in leading into this race, she's not among the best milers in the world, I don't think. But having said that, I think this is an interesting division. So who knows? Maybe I'm talking myself in, in circles here. But I just, I expected a hell of a lot more from newspaper of record in this spot, given the fractions, given that she's had success down there. I don't want to use the firm turf versus yielding turf or softer turf sort of thing, because I thought she had a plenty firm surface when she won at Belmont in that most recent start. So I don't know what you, it's not like she ran bad, but she certainly didn't run exceptionally. And not to the point where I'm looking at her like, Ooh, I'm, you know, I'd love to bet her in the Breeders' Cup. Not off this race. Could she win a Breeders' Cup mile? Absolutely. But this race leaves me, anyway, very eager to look for an alternative because I just didn't think she was that good. But recall, again, she got back to one of her better efforts, but she's been so uh, in and out that I, I don't know if I want to trust her either in a race like the Breeders' Cup mile should they end up there. 
Uh, and then the only other one I'll talk about on Saturday is the boys race, the two-year-old boys, the Iroquois, one-turn mile, which again is a little bit of a, it makes life a little bit more difficult when you're trying to project forward for a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile because it's going to be two turns at a mile and a 16th. So it may be the first time some of these guys go two turns. Um, sitting on go ran awesome. And visually in his debut at Ellis, he was really good. He was a little bit green. And then here in this spot, Really, if you picked him up and you go back and watch the replay, Corey Lannery has, I don't want to say he has a hard time finding seams for him, but like down the backside, he's all bottled up and behind runners. He's got a ton of horse. Even running the far turn, kind of a similar position, he eventually tips out to the outside, and that's when the horse just absolutely explodes. Finishes fuller run, gallop out was enormous. I mean, this is a really impressive performance. And you take a look at the pedigree, there's no reason to think that added ground is going to be to his disadvantage. I have no real knocks. I wish he had a little bit more early speed, but, you know, if he's going to run like this, what what difference does it make? I thought it was a really impressive performance from him, and I'm still very, very high on Midnight Bourbon. I thought he ran a really nice, nice race here. Uh, his first start against winners, his second start in about two weeks. The mile, I think, is going to be shorter than his ideal distance. I think he's only going to get better as the distance gets longer. And I wonder if he's a little bit of one of the more under-the-radar Asmussen runners, given what we've seen from Jackie's Warrior and some of these other two-year-olds that he's got. But I feel like Midnight Bourbon, to me, he's that sort of... He's that sort of typical horse that we've seen over the past number of years, and probably through history. With the two-year-olds, when they're good doing something that, that's not probably what they want to do, that's usually a good sign going forward. I don't. I think this horse is only going to get better when they get to two turns. So for him to be as good as he is going one turn, I think that just kind of speaks to the horse's ability. And that's me speculating because he's only run three times. He could end up being terrible next year as a three-year-old. I think there is something here. I thought he ran very, very well in this spot. So I'm very high on both of the top two coming out of the Iroquois, especially when we start looking toward Breeders' Cup time. Let me know. Thoughts? questions, whatever it may be, about the Derby and the other races on the undercard on Saturday from Churchill Downs. Authentic gets it done in the Derby. Tis the law. Maybe we'll see a rematch in Baltimore. If not, I would imagine we see them all back in the starting gate for the Breeders' Cup Classic against older horses. And that race is increasingly becoming a fascinating handicapping puzzle. You add these boys to the mix. Maybe you add Art Collector to the mix. It could be very, very, very interesting. Uh, let's, let's pivot. Let's go back to Friday. We'll talk about the Oaks and some of the races prior. Let's go back to Kentucky Oaks Friday, and we'll start with the Oaks. She dares the devil, gets the job done, pays $32 on top. Uh, beautiful trip throughout for Florent and Giroux aboard this filly. They pushed, they didn't push the pace. They pressed the pace setter. The pace was very, very, I would say, wasn't moderate, but I think it was reasonable. Uh, by no means was it fast, and by no means was it slow. She was perched out in the clear. Uh, I had initially thought maybe she would be a couple lengths back. That was if some of these other girls were really intent on going. I, I understand maybe the break caused a couple horses to get in a little bit tight, whether it was speech, whether it was Dona Veloce, especially Dona Veloce, because she was so, so rank after that. I wonder if she's able to go early on, clear through that hole, maybe even speech. If they're a little bit closer, maybe the pace ends up heating up a little bit more than it does. Regardless of the fact, this is a big effort from this horse. Uh, and she earns a 124 raw time form U.S. rating and I believe a 103 buyer, if I can take a quick double check. Um, 
but the the point is overall i mean this, this 101 buyer excuse me 124 time form us rating all around this is a big performance from this horse and i know a lot of people think it kind of came out of left field this is the danger of just being one type of handicapper just being a figure player just being a tape player just being a whatever or other sort of voodoo is out there it it's always to me there's no one way to do things and you need to take into consideration all the aspects all the pieces to it uh, there was a commenter who was just simply asked what what was it that you liked about this horse? Because I still can't find her in this race. It was a combination of things. She had always looked like the kind of horse who was running better than the figures would suggest. And to me, that's something that maybe it just takes watching a lot of replays or inexperienced horses who maybe haven't had the opportunity to really strut their stuff on the biggest stage to at least draw that sort of conclusion. Now, having said that, that can backfire on you sometimes. It backfired with me on Saturday with Vertical Threat. Visually, he had done everything you could possibly ask, albeit against inferior company. You need to sort of go out on a limb and project that it's actually better than than what the, the numbers are suggesting, that what these horses are doing based on your eye. And again, it probably just comes with a lot of watching tape. That what your eye is telling you is one thing, what the numbers are telling you is a different thing. But when you have the opportunity with prices, it's one thing to draw that conclusion or that projection when you're dealing with an even money shot. It's an entirely different ballgame and one I'm willing to gamble on and I have in the past and I will continue to with prices. And this filly fit that mold. She had the connections. The racetrack was something she loved. She's now three for three over Churchill Downs. The trip figured like it was probably going to be one that was advantageous as opposed to being a hindrance. And now you have to add in the other pieces to it. If you're a figure player, you went into this race saying Gamin's going to win by 100. There was even a commenter who called me an idiot because he said that she wins this race five times more likely than Swiss Skydiver, which, by the way, again, I said Swiss Skydiver was... To me, a much likelier sort of possibility than Gamin was. But if you're just strictly a number player, yes, Gamin couldn't lose the race. But you got to look a little bit deeper than that and say, why has Bob Baffert not run her more than one time going two turns and that only time, she another 50 yards, she loses? Why is that? You, you need to question why connections are doing certain things with certain horses. And I think it's a, I think that's just sort of the problem that you fall into if you're someone who just looks at it and says, well, on paper, she, she can't lose. On paper, she's just too fast. We've, we've seen this happen before where these horses get beat. And for them to not try her going two turns and then to ride her in this fashion, and I get it, she had slow paces in those one-turn races in the grand scheme of things, but the bigger piece for me is if you if she's that good and you have no concerns about the distance, you're supposed to, to drop a, a 46 and 4 on their heads. Get everybody off the bridle and say, we're not afraid of the distance. We're just that good. That didn't happen. 
when you when you ride it that way you're you're either overconfident or which i be- genuinely believe the instance here was they knew that the distance wasn't going to be to her she wasn't going to be at her best at the distance now having said that and i'll get the swiss skydiver in a minute gamin really didn't run a terrible race and i think that kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit here she really didn't run poorly. She earned a raw 120 time form US rating. She earned a 96 buyer. And and to me, again, this is a, a good example. The horse that I've always used is sort of the um, the, the sort of uh, stereotype or the prototypical one-turn horse who did and accomplished a number of things going two turns simply because he was that good. When in reality, that's not actually what he wanted to do. Is frosted. I've said it a million times now. I think, you know, people looked at the Met Mile and said, oh, wow, you know, uh, talk about a, you know, he freaked out that day and he never really ran back to that. Well, it's be- in my opinion, and I could be wrong and we'll never know, but I'm hopeful some of you are seeing the kind of conclusion I'm drawing and something to keep in mind going forward in many instances because this isn't going to be the last time this sort of thing comes up. Frosted was allowed to go one turn that time. I'm not including early on when he was a two-year-old. He was allowed to go one turn in that race at Belmont Park, and he freaked out because I think that's what he wanted to do all along. He won the races going longer simply because he's an exceptional talent. You following me? The same with Gamine. This race really wasn't terrible, but it's a far cry from what she's doing going one turn. It's because she's a one-turn horse. And her talent is simply exceptional. And that's what leads her to only losing by three lengths. Going a distance she, she probably wants no part of. So I think you need to... It, it's not as simple as one thing is gospel. You need to look and factor in all these different pieces to draw some sort of a conclusion. Swiss Skydiver, I don't think, loses anything in defeat. I thought she ran a fantastic race. If you believe the figures, she essentially... She basically is running the race that she's run. And I know some people have, have sort of theorized that if you flip the trip for uh, She Dares the Devil and Swiss Skydiver, perhaps it's a different result. Maybe it is, but at the same time, I look at it and say at the top of the lane, Swiss Skydiver has every opportunity to go by, and she doesn't. Once she's switched out into the clear, she had every chance to run down She Dares the Devil, and she couldn't do it. So I, I don't think necessarily that that's indicative of, you know, if they match up again down the road, that... that she dares the devil is going to win every time. I'm not saying that by a long shot. What I'm saying is maybe you, you switch the trip. Maybe it's a different result. I don't really believe that, though. I feel like Swiss Skydiver had every chance down the lane, and she couldn't do it. In fact, She Dares the Devil continued to, to lengthen away from her at the wire and then galloped out about a country mile ahead of everyone else. Speech, I think, was a little unlucky with that early piece where they all got pinched together. But how, how can I really say that was a tremendous difference in the race when you were beaten by almost, what, eight lengths? Uh, by the top three, anyway. And the only other horse I'll, I'll briefly touch on that was an also-ran was Dona Veloce. Do not hold this race against her. Draw a line through it entirely. Um, I think she's a fascinating, fascinating prospect for a race like the Philly and Mare Sprint if the connections choose to go that route with her. Simply because this race, I mean, it was, I'm going to say, borderline an impossible task for her, given the lengthy layoff, given the ship, given the caliber and the quality of this field of girls. Um, But 
I wonder if with a little bit of now foundation as we lead into November, maybe they run her one more time, but you get her to that seven-eighths distance. She's got big speed, but she doesn't need the lead. You've got a horse like Serengeti Empress in there. Got a couple other horses who could be speedy. She can at least be close to that pace. And perhaps perhaps she's a better version of her older stablemate, Bellafina. I know that sounds crazy. Bellafina's won big races, but Dona Veloce, I mean, the, the talent has never been questioned. The placement was a little bit odd, but neither here nor there. Uh, but don't hold this race against her. Draw a line through it. Now, here comes the interesting sort of compare and contrast, right? And I'm not just saying this because, obviously, I love She Dares the Devil. But I'm quite fond of the filly that ran in the race prior as well. And that's Monomoy Girl. Now, Monomoy Girl, if you're just looking at, at numbers, right? I'm going to go through, pull up the chart over here. From a time form U.S. standpoint, she earns a raw 120, pace adjusted because the pace was fast, crank it up to a 123. From a buyer standpoint, she earns a 97. Now, we, I've discussed the 20-point differential theory between the, the time form U.S. rating and the buyer numbers. If you want to use, and I'm only going off of the raw numbers for time form. So the 120 that Monomoy Girl earns here compared to the 97, eh, roughly that would match up to about 100 on the buyer scale. may not sound like it's that far off. I have reason to believe that the buyer number is too light. That the buyer number should be ticked up a few, three, if not slightly more. And here's why. There's another race that you have to factor into this entire equation to, to sort of build on the, the speed figure-isms. And it's interesting that this has come up because it's been a question that's come up a number of times. Here's just my theory about why these numbers landed the way that they were and the way that I'm approaching them going forward. You have this grade one La Troyana a mile and a 16th. The race prior was a mile and a 16th for older males in the Ali Sheba. The big piece here is the girls stopped the clock in 42.14. The boys stopped the clock in 42.24. So you're dealing with one-tenth of a second difference. Now, we'll start with the buyer numbers. Obviously, we just spoke about the 97 that Monomoy Girl earned. Uh, by my standards, who on the final clock, the official clocking, ran a tenth of a second slower, earned a speed figure five points faster of a 102. Now, how can that be? First, let's compare and contrast the Timeform US numbers. The 120 that Monomoy Girl earns, that is compared to the 119 that by my standards earns. So again, if you want to use the 20-point differential, consider that roughly a 100 buyer and a 99 buyer speed figure. So where's the, where's the change? Where's the discrepancies? The big thing is, and as big a fan as I am of the idea of the clock being the clock, projections happen and they have to happen. And the Ali Sheba is, it can't help but purely be a projection because of the way the race was run. There was no pace sign. It was, it was effectively a turf race. Listen to some of the pace figures that Timeform US gave these horses. And it's not like they're just pulling these things out of left field. We're, we're dealing with pars and how everything typically stacks up for this level of company at this track, at this configuration. The pace setter for the opening quarter mile, Dr. Fr uh, Mr. Freeze, had a 51. A 51 pace figure is, I, I mean, it's bordering on impossible to find a race run that slowly early on. 
it only kind of gets slower from there where you've got middle fractions that are just at a snail's pace. You or I could almost run that fast. Tongue in cheek. When you compare that to the girls, the girls were going a wicked clip early on, specifically Lady Kate, who had pace figures of 152, 151, 136. Her final awarded raw number was a 117. She ran her eyeballs out. Monomoy Girl was well off of the pace, but she was still close enough to a fast pace that she ran considerably quicker early on and through the middle portion of the race than a horse like By My Standards did, who pressed the pace throughout in the Ali Sheba. Now, when you take a look at the numbers, though, why does By My Standards earn the figure that he does compared to Monomoy Girl, specifically when talking about the buyers, the 102 versus the 97? The 102 is purely a projection because the pace was so impossibly slow, and the projection is effectively... This has been a very, very steady racehorse. I mean, if we're going to go and include the number he earned here in this race, a 102, his three prior races, he earned a 103, a 102, and a 102. And even just before that, he earned a 98. So this is kind of where this horse has been living. Given the impossibly slow pace that was signed on in this race, the buyer associates, from all indication, and again, having read enough about this, I haven't been told this, but this is, you know, logical reasoning, they're looking at it saying, you know what, I can't, we can't just go by the clock. We have to assume that this is probably on par with something that this horse is capable of running. And it matches up quite well with the other horses that fell in line behind. Owendale, 99, his most recent runs, 95, 99, 99. Uh, Silverdust, 99, his most recent start was a 99, 97. He's got a couple of 96s, 98s in the back pocket. Uh, McKinsey. His recent form certainly has tailed off. I'll talk about him more when we actually dive into the Alishiba a little bit. Uh, 97, 198, 105. The point is, the projection is suggesting that these horses more or less slotted into what they've been running. Whereas with the girls, I think the big concern anyway for the buyer associates and why this figure, and again, please keep in mind, I'm talking about three points roughly, maybe as many as five. But we're not talking about a giant discrepancy, but... Three to let's say it's three to five points. For some folks, that could be enough to either turn them off or keep them on a certain horse. So this is just something for you to keep in your back pocket if you're listening to this whole long prologue or diatribe or prologue is not even the right word. You get what I'm saying, monologue. Lady Kate, I think, is probably the crux of the situation because prior to this race, she had never earned a 90 buyer. If I'm going back and I have 10 listed here, point is in her 10 most recent starts she had never earned a 90 so the 94 is not only a top as far as the recent form is concerned it's a pretty significant top to suggest that she possibly improved three or four more points than that maybe even five and that puts her up into the high 90 range i'm sure the folks that put the figs together looked at it and said that that seems unlikely here's why i'm going to say it, it's entirely possible as far as I can tell with Lady Kate, and I go through here, I'm just looking at it from a time form standpoint. Her most recent starts, uh, one mile, one mile, one mile, seven furlongs, one mile, one mile, uh, six and a half, seven furlongs, mile and 16th, mile 40 yards. Now these one mile races, and let me see if I can pull up some, some past performances. I'm doing this on the fly, just because I, I want to make sure that I'm not speaking out of turn here. Lady Kate's races, these one mile events, have all been one turn. And you're picking up 
a trend here, going back to what I was suggesting with Gamine. I think there's a chance that Lady Kate just wanted two turns all along. So to me, the idea of her, and again, combining it with the clock, her running somewhere in the 97 to 98 to 99 range isn't entirely out of the realm of possibility. And now if you do that, let's say it's between three to five points. You tack three to five points on a Monomoy girl. That puts her into the low 100 range, which is on the heels of a 104 that she earned in the Ruffian at Belmont Park. Horologist, a horse that I like, a horse that I believe in. Based on the numbers that are official, she earned an 89 buyer on the heels of a 102 at Monmouth Park. Prior to that, she earned a 90. And there were time prior to that in 91. Doesn't entirely tell the story, though, because she had been stopped in the Apple Blossom. That race could have theoretically been faster had she not had to check as badly as she did. And she's a horse who, earlier on in her career, had earned a 94. You tack three to five points onto the 89. That puts you, let's go with five at that point. That puts you into the 94 range, a number that she has certainly earned in the past. Saracosa. She earns an 87 and her three, let's go four most recent starts. 92, 91, 92, 91. So if we're using sort of the projection idea, similar to what I was just talking about with the Ali Sheba, that we're going to project that by my standards ran his race because the clock would suggest he didn't. With this race, Saracosa, if I'm going to say that the race is a little bit on the slower side, if we tack those five points on, that slots her right into what she's been doing. The 92, the 91, the 92, the 91 from the 87 that she had earned here. And even a horse like Vexatious. Ooh, as I'm losing my background. Vexatious, this was on the heels of back-to-back triple-digit buyers, but even prior to that, she was sort of a high 80, low 90 type. The 82 she earns here looks very, very unappetizing on paper, but you tack five points onto it, that at least puts her remotely somewhere in the ballpark of what she's earned prior to the last two, those two notwithstanding. So... This is a long-winded way of me saying that I think the buyer figures for the La Troyenne are a bit slow. I think the Ali Sheba figs are probably, and again, it's a pure projection. I think they're probably pretty reasonable, but I don't like what I saw from By My Standards. And this is, again, going back to a lead change piece. When I go through and I talk about the idea of the lead change for me is about identifying professionalism or a potential injury or going off form. For a horse like By My Standards who has been just professional through and through, two times down the lane, he quickly popped to his left and he quickly righted it back to the right lead. But he did it on two different occasions. For a horse who's never done that, that to me is not a good sign. Now, Nick Tamaro handicapper I very very much respect and many of you have heard him on Steve Bick and you've read his 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 uh, columns and analysis he suggested that perhaps it had to do with the the lack of pace entirely possible and and to the point to his point he is and I've, I've said this for a while now he has found somehow it seems like by my standards only gets to run in races with no pace and it's my, the, the, the point I brought up talking about the Whitney, that if he ends up getting a race where they go a little bit in front of him, he should be the one to benefit from it. So perhaps we hadn't seen his best. 
maybe I'm going to sound stupid when we get to the Breeders' Cup Classic and I end up picking by my standards. But this is the first, despite the victory, his first win in four starts, I, to me, this is the least impressive of the four. Do with that what you will. And before I fully push off to the Ali Sheba, uh, let me also button up the idea. I think it's a serious situation that I she dares the devil. I think as well as Monomoy Girl ran. I'm I'm not just saying this just to say it. You have to wonder. Monomoy Girl is a very, very likely scenario that this is this is what she is at this point in her career. Still an exceptionally fast racehorse, very talented, probably the favorite for the Breeders' Cup Distaff. There's a real scenario, in my opinion anyway, that this is not the best that she dares the devil is going to be. And it presents an interesting proposition for Florent Giroux. I would be stunned if he went, let's just say they match up in the in the distaff. I would be very, very surprised if he got off Monomoy Girl. But I'm just throwing it out there. That if you believe this is what she dares the devil is or can be, like I do, and you consider that there's a chance that she still takes another step forward at some point, given that she is a relatively lightly raced three-year-old. It is toward the end of the three-year-old campaign, or at least three-quarters of the way through it, but it's not inconceivable that there's another move in her. And even if there's not another move in her, based on this race and the La Troyenne that we just saw, now granted, Monomore Girl was wide. She was chasing a fast pace. She does the devil. Had a beautiful trip. Numbers-wise, they're not that far off. Visually, they're not that far off. I believe Monomore Girl has a victory at Keeneland. I believe she enjoys Keeneland. I don't, we'll find out about She Dares the Devil. I've talked about that as well. Keeneland, very quirky track. Keep an eye on that going forward. But it's just fun fodder. Something to throw out there. Also something to throw out there. She uh, Swiss Skydiver. We know that's not an issue for her, Keeneland. Don't, don't dismiss Swiss Skydiver just yet. She ran a very good race here. This is on the heels of a long campaign. She's proven herself at Keeneland. Don't, don't forget about her. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we heard from her the, that first weekend in November in a big, big way in the Breeders' Cup. Let's fully move to the Ali Sheba because there's really a couple other horses that need to be discussed anyway. One of them, to me, is Owendale. I don't believe Owendale is a two-turn horse. Despite the fact that he ran as well as he did here, I think he is, like, through and through a, a one-turn miler. The cigar mile just keeps screaming to me. For a horse like this. I guess the concern or the question is, is he that good? I would say one. I mean, what's he done to suggest otherwise that he doesn't deserve an opportunity in a spot like that? I don't think he's a Breeders' Cup Classic type. I think that's way too much, and I think it's too far. To me, he's a one-turn miler or a closing sprinter. I would give him an opportunity in a spot like that. Where that is, hell if I know. But the Cigar Mile is one that comes to mind. Um... You know, I don't really know if there's a 7 eighths grade 1 for older horses at Santa Anita. Um, you know, Gulfstream has those one-turn miles, you know, the Gulfstream Park mile and stuff like that. But that's that's my opinion anyway with Owendale. I feel like he is that sort of horse who is going to really appreciate 
a one-turn run, seven-eighths to a mile. That, to me, is his bread and butter at this point. I don't think longer is better for him. Silverdust, I, Silverdust is a fine horse. He's, he's not a grade one caliber runner. He's just not. He's, he's a grade two to three type who will occasionally get, you know, something to work. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. The horse that needs to be discussed is McKinsey. Because I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. McKinsey's not the same horse that he was last year. He's just not. And it happens. Horses go off form. Or they just get to the point where they don't want to run anymore. At least, or they can't, to the level of the you know what we had come to expect. And I've seen some people talk about how he was never that good. That's bull. I mean, this is a this is a very very talented, accomplished racehorse. But the way that he ran when they sent him out to Saudi Arabia, that you know you could have looked at it and said it must have been the ship. But this is a horse that shipped all around the country in the United States and had never done that. And that, to me, was red flag number one. Then he comes back in the Met Mile. And maybe I'm a little bit harsh, but I thought it was a really poor effort from him. I mean, it looked like he was in with a giant chance at the top of the lane, and he was just flatter than flat down the lane. Whatever. Maybe he needed the race. Then the logical next step is the Whitney. And if you wanted to look at it and say it was more a vote of confidence in knowing what he had in Improbable than it was a knock against a horse like McKinsey, that's fine. You're probably right because Improbable ended up winning the race. But then when you hear that McKinsey's being pointed to the six furlong Bing Crosby, red flag, that that doesn't make sense. It's a horse who has been a two-turn mile and a 16th, mile and an eighth, one-turn mile type. He ran second at a mile and a quarter in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You're going to turn him all the way to three-quarters of a mile? Mm, that didn't that didn't smell right. Then we're going to pass on that race when we go to the Pat O'Brien. A little bit better, but not much. Now and then we're going to wait and we're going we're gonna to run him mile and a 16th back at Churchill. He's won at Churchill in the past. Mile and a 16th, get him out to the two turns. Maybe he needed a little bit more time. It at least sounds better, and I agree with the logic. But again, to the idea of you need to you need to handicap or think why are why are connections doing something or not doing something else? You gotta you gotta try to put yourself in their shoes. If I think I have one of the top, let's say, well, last year hell, he was the favorite in the classic, wasn't he? He's been the favorite in the classic the past two years, I think. If you think you've got a top three horse in the country. You're not, you're not doing one of these for your path to whatever race you're, you're going to. You are going to lay out your path, and you're going to stick to it. And even if you have a little hiccup, maybe you just call an audible, but it's a slight audible. Instead of another, you know, instead of, uh, I'm making it up, instead of a mile and an eighth, you know, uh, at such and such track, ah, we're going to have to miss that one. We're going to go to a mile and a sixteenth at this track, though. And it's the following week. It's a slight difference. It's not one turn mile, assuming we're going to go to the mile and an eighth run up at Saratoga. But then from there, no, we're not going to go there. We're going to go to the six furlong dirt sprint, a distance I don't think he ever has gone in his career. No, we're not going to go there. We're going to go to the seven eighths race. No, we don't know about that one either. Let's try this one here. And then he performs like this. There's... There is signal in that noise, folks. 
And and again, this could be one of those things where this is the race he needed and he's going to come back and run a giant race his next start. I mean, I, I don't I don't believe it. I, I don't think McKenzie's the same horse that he once was. And it happens. He's five years old. To suggest he was never good, I think, is a stupid statement. This was a, a very talented racehorse for a number of years. He's accomplished a hell of a lot. I just don't think he's got it anymore. And anytime he's in against quality runners, I'm going to toss him. I don't want any part of him. Maybe I'll regret that. And who knows? Maybe my tune will change at some point. But that's where I stand on McKinsey. And I hope the way I laid all that out is enough to, to just, you know, sort of consider going forward. Think about if you were the trainer. What would you do? Why would you pick this spot? Is there a reason? Is it as simple as some, I'm making I'm making something up? Did you pick this race because it's a Breeders' Cup win and you're in? Or did you pick another race because of something else? Did you pick this race because of the distance, because of the pace situation, because of who was going to show up? Why are you here and why are you calling audibles? And the longer you're away, usually that's not a good thing. Just throwing that out there. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. What your thoughts are on the Kentucky Oaks and She Dares the Devil with Swiss Skydiver and Gamine and Dona and Speech. Your thoughts on the La Troyenne with Monomoy Girl and the whole discussion about speed figures and things of that nature. And this race here that we just talked about, the Ali Sheba with By My Standards and the Pace Situation and Owendale and McKinsey and whatnot. Let me know, again, beneath the video player on YouTube or even on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, a couple of quick thoughts from some of the comments and questions beneath the video player. All right, let's buzz through some questions and comments and things of that nature here, and we will wrap up episode 31. Uh, one of the, the first things first, thank you to everyone for all the congrats and the well wishes with the whole She Dares the Devil thing. I appreciate it. It's always nice. I said it to a number of folks. Um, it The money is always nice, but having, a, having an opinion and a conviction like that so far in advance, those are always the ones that are the sweetest. That's why they're the ones that have frames around them. It's not the necessarily the ones that net you the most. It's the ones that you remember the most. So she has certainly sort of put herself into that category. And again, thank you to everyone who sort of came with the congrats and whatnot. Now, here we go. There's a couple of, and these are going, some of them, <laughs> some of the questions and comments are interesting. Um, there's a couple a little that are odd, but anyway, here we go. Let's start off. Many people were questioning uh, the comment I made about the Superfecta. And uh, I can just run down. The idea for me was I hated, 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 and I continue to hate what Churchill Downs did by changing the minimum from the dollar to the 10 center. And just some of the, the folks here. Um, LB, uh, 10 cent super is good, period, you dumb space next comment moron um let's see uh storm wolf uh you can always still bet a one dollar super no one's stopping you from spending that ridiculous amount of money for something so difficult to hit yes the pool will be smaller but still um uh, jeffrey smith this was the the most <laughs> the, the kindest really phrase of them all 
Uh, you said something that puzzled me. Why would the minimum bet matter for betting the Superfecta? It seems to me that it's the same bet and the lower minimum will lead to more money in the pool, which should be good for betters. What is your rationale for not wanting the uh, not wanting to bet the Super because of the dime minimum and uh, someone else uh, in a pova? Uh, I just play a dollar Super then. That makes no sense. You're off today. Uh, it's Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, but never mind. So the, the logic with the Superfecta and why I was not thrilled. And, and really, this could be a g- bigger discussion with minimums with pools all across the country for certain bets. The, the idea that the, there's going to be more money bet, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. The bigger piece it has to come down to or boils down to that the, the pools are going to be diluted because it affords people the opportunity to cover more combinations which inherently reduces the payout. So, uh, you know, without going all the way into the math, something as simple as, think about it, if if it came in, I'm making it up. Uh, first choice over second choice over third choice over fourth choice. And you compare the differences between a $1 minimum and a 10 cent minimum, there are going to be considerably more winning tickets at the 10 cent level than there are at the dollar level because the dollar level it's going to just cost you more per combination as opposed to the 10 cent where it's literally going to cost you a tenth of what the other one would so just by default you're going to introduce that many more combinations that are played so perhaps the pool does end up bigger i again i I don't know for better or for worse but it's not necessarily a better pool to be betting in because more people are going to have that covered as opposed to when the beginning denomination is larger it eliminates many people that can or can't play in it but even that part away from it your $30 let's say let's say $24 right <clears throat> I believe a box super effective for a dollar is 24 bucks that is going to get you what you know 24 combinations right compare that to doing that with the 10 center it's going to cost you $2.40 for the same amount of combinations. With that 10 cent piece, now all of a sudden, let's say my budget was $24. That's all. Do you know how many added combos I can add and still be within that $24 budget as opposed to the person who just boxed up their dollar super? They're stuck with those 24. You now, at that 10 cent minimum, have exponentially more covered. Therefore, if you get the crazy price that comes in, let's say Mr. Big News, right? And actually, this is a good opportunity. I haven't even looked and seen what it paid this year. But if you go through and you, let's say you hit this year's Superfecta, and I hope they show it. I hope it's not one of those stupid things that didn't come up on the chart. If you hit the Superfecta this year for a dime, paid $792.58, an 1817-916 Superfecta. And that is including the three favorites. Obviously, we know the positions, the third choice over the first choice, and then the second choice finishing fourth, with a 46-to-1 shot in third. Okay, I also recognize that the pool was smaller, but just for reference sake, I'm going to pull up another chart just to kind of hopefully show the point I'm trying to illustrate in that 
that would have paid exponentially more if it was a dollar bet as opposed to a 10 cent bet. And if you're not someone who likes to get involved because it is a very difficult wager to hit, I'm not here to tell you otherwise. It's it's a brutally hard bet to hit. But that's why for the Derby, that's typically one of the, the more exciting bets because it could be a game changer. Not just a year maker, but it could, in some instances, be a life maker. So, and it also really kind of enforces the idea that if you have good ticket construction, it can go a long way. So let me go back to last year's Kentucky Derby. I don't remember what happened in that race. Let's pull it up. First Saturday in May when things are normal. Pull it up. Uh, Kentucky Derby. Maximum security. <laughs> this is probably a bad example, if I'm being honest. This, this is going to be a bad example because Country House is on top. Let's go to 2018. 2018 Kentucky Derby. Actually, this is going to be a very good example. Because this was Justify, I believe, right? Here we go. Justify, good magic, audible, instilled regard. This is actually not dissimilar from sort of the circumstance that we had this year. Justify was 5-2. to two. Good magic was 9-1. to one. Audible was 7-1. to one. And then the horse that I picked and bet, instilled regard, was 4th at 85-1. to one. The Superfecta... For this wager, paid $19,600. Now, look at the difference there. That was with the favorite winning. The 3-5 to five favorite this year finished second. You had a 46-1 shot, who I believe was the second or third longest shot on the board in this, in this year's race, run third. Not even fourth like this horse, in stilled regard. And the difference is just shy of $800 this year for 10 cents or just shy of 20,000 for a dollar. That's why I say I hate that they did that. Now, if you're someone that just wants to bet the the super and the derby and the 10 cent increment allowed you to do so, that's fine. I'm happy and I'm I'm glad you got involved in the pool. Um but that that was the reason that I made the case that I hated it. And look, that's the only time that I'm interested in playing the Superfecta, to be honest with you, because it is so difficult to hit. But it is that opportunity where if you want to throw 100 bucks at it and you construct your tickets, you know, strategically enough, you could you could be looking at a giant, giant return. So that's why I laid out why I don't love the, the move that they made this year. Maybe they made it because of all the circumstances and people weren't allowed at the track and all that stuff. Because that, that's typically the big piece is that you don't want to be bogging down the lines with 10-cent supers on Derby Day because you never get people to get through the windows. Hopefully they go back to it next year, but we'll see. You never know. Uh, so anyway, to those of you that, that asked or made fun of me for whatever reason, there's the reason. There's the logic. Uh, let's see. There was um, uh, Linda Knight, but I know it's Tom Tom Knight. I, 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 try, I hope I did a good enough job uh, answering this question. Uh, on Monday, you can go through your thoughts. Can you go through your thoughts on She Dares the Devil? I still can't see it. On the race itself, can you address the pace and the trips? I'm not sure it mattered, but if Tyler comes up the rail, it's a lot closer. And a little pressure would have gone a long way. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Tom, I agree with you about the pressure piece, and I brought that up, where I wonder if maybe the race plays out slightly differently if Dona Veloce can get through, again, given how ranked she was, uh, if speech doesn't get pinched a little bit, that sort of stuff. Maybe the the dynamics play out a little bit differently. I don't know that you get a, a giant different result, 
Um, because I think all the long shots in there, simply put, they just I just don't think they were as good as the top four or five. Um, the piece that you bring up about Tyler Gaffalone on the backside, I think is fascinating. And I've seen some other folks bring that up as well. Gamine, John Velasquez and Gamine flowed out about two and a half pass, two pass down the backside. And there's a giant hole for Tyler Gaffalone, the rider of Swiss Skydiver, to have if he wants. But Tom, my, my thought anyway, watching the race live and watching it a number of times since then, I, I wonder if it was Johnny V playing a little bit of cat and mouse in an instance of, I think the last thing Tyler would have wanted was to try to push to get into that hole to have Johnny do basically what he did. Almost kind of like uh, try to sucker him into the hole and then shut the door, have to steady with Swiss Skydiver, have her lose her momentum, and the whole nine. And at that point, it's going to be really difficult to have any chance. That's just my thought in what I, watching the tape a few times, rather than go in there and lose your shot there, because you would have needed to make sure that you had cleared, you had had enough into the hole where they couldn't come down on you. You would have had to got it, have been in that hole, let's say at least a third of a length, if not at least a full half, uh, half or even more than that. If, if she tries to go and if Tyler says go and the hole doesn't stay open and he has to take up on her and you lose your position and you lose your momentum, I think that, at least it's just me guessing, is part of the reason that that didn't happen. That Tyler didn't want that to be the issue or didn't want that to be the way that everything played out. And he still had a big chance at the top of the lane. That's my thought when I saw it. That's why I thought watching it a few more times, I'd be curious if you agree, disagree, and everyone else, if you agree or disagree, uh, beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, let's see, some of the other folks uh, that brought some things up, we had a number of, yeah, I know the scratches unfortunately kind of compromised the wagers I put out last week. And I guess that is the, that's the danger of putting things out so far in advance. But again, when I'm only doing one show early in the week, you know, at that point, I just sort of figured let's roll with it. Um, let's see. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting quote uh, or comment anyway from uh, Maynard Runkle. Uh, I like your show, but I feel that Tis the Law, while very good, he is not nearly as good as his record looks on paper. This year, the seas have parted for him. No Nadal, no Maxfield, no Art Collector, no Mile and a Half Belmont. Regardless, he has the top win probability. I was interested in your statement about Honor AP pairing up two top 102 buyers being a good sign, and he might improve. Uh, I might improve more, excuse me. Uh, and the added distance, he should be better yet. Uh, I will put him on top with Tis the Law on some exotics. Um, I, I love that comment. That comment to me is, is the perfect comment where you've laid out your case, why you disagree, and what the logic is in your sort of piece. Perfect. And you know what? You were right in the fact that maybe Tisla did not tower over the field because he didn't win the race. Um, the Honor AP piece, he ended up regressing slightly from a number standpoint, but I... When you factor in, I believe you can find it on Twitter out there somewhere, there, there's a um, sort of times factored in. I, I don't know if it was Marshall Graham or someone else who's very, very smart. They put it out there. The times factored in combined with the, the ground loss. And in that instance, Honor AP actually ran the fastest race. Um, so the, I don't know that I, while the buyer is going to say he, he slowed down a couple ticks, I don't really believe that to be the case. I think he is still a very, very fast horse, a good horse. 
I just wonder with his running style, what what is that is that going to compromise him too much, you know, down the road and down the line, those sort of things where he's going to be that horse that needs so many things to happen for him. Unless maybe he does have that ability to lay a little bit closer, similar to what we saw in the Santa Anita Derby earlier this year. But I just, part of me believes as these horses continue to get older, that you're going to need to be closer than you are farther unless it's a complete pace meltdown in order to have a big chance. But Maynard, I like everything about that quote there. Thank you for listening. Uh, let's see. Uh, and the last one we'll, we'll touch on, um, Jeff Snell's logic for, uh, Jeff used way too many quotes. Uh, sometimes a great horse does not run her race or best race. If another great horse is in the race, so I can't be sure how Swiss will perform if Gamine is just better than her. But if you took Gamine out of this race, Swiss would be superior to this field and win with ease. Hmm. Uh, only one, only reason one of the other horses might have a chance to finish ahead of Swiss is because Gamine is in the race and this could compromise Swiss to not run her best race. We'll be rooting for Swiss. Gamine's last two performances were superstar level at the most elite level. She drew off by a mile and both infractions were swift, included being hounded early way, being hounded entire way last out by a pretty good Venetian Harbor. Um, the only thing I would come back with as far as the way that she had run in those other races, uh, they looked legit as far as the fractions were concerned, but when you factor in the way the tracks were playing that day and the times that were being yielded, uh, I believe they were both actually slow fractions throughout. So that kind of pokes a hole in that. And then obviously the Swiss skydiver piece, you know, I if you want to say she should have gone down through the inside, that's one thing. Um, but again, I don't, she had every opportunity at the top of the lane to go by. So do with that what you will. And Jeff, please. For, for goodness sake, I, I don't mind criticism. But you start to look stupid when you say oh, he, all he does is pick losers and pick losers. I mean, the past three weeks, you look like an idiot. Stop. Get the troll stuff out of here. If you got a nice comment, or I don't want to say nice comment, if you have a well-thought-out comment, leave it. But if you're just here just to talk garbage, get out of here. I don't have time for that. Everyone else, please continue. I love all the comments. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. That's going to wrap up episode 31 of this show. If you have been watching on YouTube or listening, thank you for doing so. Again, make sure you hit the subscribe button. The bell icon is lit up. That way you get a notification anytime anything new is uploaded to the In The Money page, whether it's this or the Racing Picks Players podcast or Horse Players Happy Hour, which we'll be back with on Thursday. I think we're talking a little bit of the Queen's Play coming up at Woodbine. Um, if you're someone who listens audio only, you have, obviously, the InTheMoneyPodcast.com website where you can find this and all the other ones that I mentioned at the top of the show. You have Apple Podcasts. You have your Android device, however you get that. You have all sorts of different places. It's really an easy piece there, but please, again, we all appreciate it. It helps us go a long way as far as a number of things are concerned. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Questions, comments, concerns, things that you would like to see more of less of whatever the case may be and i apologize if you didn't like the snarky comment there for the last guy but he's just been a troll constantly most 99 percent of you it's all good he's the one percent uh anything that can be tweaked let me know i'm all ears we'll be back with the friday feature next week the show will be recorded and uploaded on tuesday uh looking forward to getting back involved with that until next week good luck however you play whatever you play and whatever it's been episode 31 of the Matt Bernier Show.